pick up from the Garden of Gethsemane and things he said there all the way through to his statements, his seven statements that he made while hanging on the cross. Now, in Matthew 26, let's turn there in verse 31. Matthew 26, verse 31. Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's arrested. He says, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. Of course, we know that Peter did deny Jesus. And we know that when Jesus was arrested, all of the disciples fled to one degree or another. In verse 36, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And of course, he said, sit here while I go and pray over there. So now we're in the garden, actually. And he says, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther, fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What, what, what's he talking about? See, he's facing the cross. The cross lay just out in front of him. And he said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, it was the will of God for him to go to the cross. It was the will of God for Jesus to step in as our substitute and take our place and suffer on our behalf. A moment ago, Jesus quoted. He said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee and. You see, the person that's going to be doing the striking, ultimately, there is is almighty God. Now, certainly the Romans crucified him as, as the Jews encouraged that. But ultimately, you need to realize that the judgment that was due Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden the, and the judgment that was due you and me was laid upon Jesus at the cross. And that's why Jesus' soul was so exceedingly sorrowful. And in verse, and I think it should be noted that Jesus said, not as I will, but as you will. In other words, if there's any other way, God, speaking to his father, if there's any other way, let, let's do it some other way. But how many of you know there was no other way? There was no other way. And you see that Jesus, though he was 100% God, he was also 100% man. And you see that here in his humanity, he was struggling with this, but yet he submitted his will and kept his will submitted to the will of the Father, the same thing that you and I should do. Is that right? Verse 40, then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 41, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is well willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you have ever dealt with that in your life? That your spirit was willing, but your flesh was weak. And in verse 42, again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. See, he's keeping his will submitted to that of the father. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away 
again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And in Luke's account of this, the Bible says that an angel appeared unto Jesus from heaven and strengthened him. And also it says, in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Luke, who recorded that, being a doctor, understood what was going on. The the pressure of this was so heavy upon Jesus, and he was fighting the temptation to sin, because see, getting out of the Father's will would be sin, wouldn't it? And he was fighting so hard to keep his will in line with the will of the fathers. And he was he was struggling so with, you see, he was going to be smitten by God and afflicted here in just a short time ahead. And and for a period of time, he was going to be separated. The Bible says in the book of Daniel that Messiah, Jesus, will be cut off, but not for himself. See, he wasn't cut off for himself, but for you and for me. And see, he, he was struggling with that. He had never been cut off from his father before, but as our substitute, he was going to be cut off. And he was struggling with that. And he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood that fell to the ground. And then in verse 45, he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going, see my betrayer is at hand. And of course, we know that betrayer was Judas Iscariot, who was a thief. And he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And so now the band of Roman soldiers and so on, quite a large group of people showed up to arrest Jesus. A large group, quite a large group. Mighty Roman soldiers and so on. And in John 18, verse 4, I want to look at John's account of this. John chapter 18, verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them. This is the crowd now that has shown up to arrest him. He says, whom are you seeking? They answered him. And said, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus said to them, I am he. Actually, the he is added by the translators. He said to them, he said, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he had said to them, I am, notice what happened. They drew back and fell to the ground. The power of God knocked these guys flat cold on the ground. Can anybody say amen? Nobody was going to take Jesus unless he wanted to be took. He said, I lay down my life and I take it up again. He said, no man takes it from me. Jesus did what he did voluntarily because he loved you and me. He said, I am. And they drew back and fell to the ground. And then it's interesting. Verse seven, he asked them again, saying, now, whom are you seeking? Can't you just see that out there? They came to take Jesus whom you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. And they all just, poof, just, just the power of God knocks them, levels them cold. And then he looks over at him. Now, who did you say you're seeking? As they're all laying there looking up at him. You ever think about that? Leveled the whole bunch of them, just knocked them flat. And they weren't going to take him if he didn't want to go. And so they drew back and fell to the ground. And he asked him again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, verse 8, answered, I have told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these others go their way. Now, notice here in John 18, verse 10, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Now, I don't believe he was shooting for his ear. I believe he was shooting for for his head. I, I personally believe the guy moved and he cut off his right ear. Peter was going to defend Jesus as best he could. The servant's name was Malchus. How many of you know Jesus is good, isn't he? What did he do to Malchus's ear? Does anybody remember? He healed it, didn't he? Put it back on, healed it, whatever. He healed it. Just think about that. Somebody coming out to take you captive and uh, Jesus, I mean, he, 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 he's, he is God, manifest in the flesh. He is love. The Bible says God is love. Think about that. He healed Malchus's ear right there in that very, very awesome time. Well, if Jesus healed Malchus, he'd heal you, wouldn't he? Is that right? Oh, yeah. 
And then Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup? My father has given me to drink. That cup, of course, is the redemptive work that he's going to be doing upon the cross and so on. Now, notice Matthew 26, verse 52. Jesus said to him, we'll pick up with Matthew's account of this. Put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? See, they weren't going to take Jesus if he didn't want to be took. Is that right? I mean, one angel can do quite an awesome thing. Is that right? He's talking about multiplicity of angels, 12 legions of them, thousands of them. He said, don't you think that I could pray right now to my father and he would not provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? But then he says, how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that this must happen? I'm glad Jesus didn't pray the father and ask for the angels. How about you? We needed him to go to that cross. We needed him to do what he did for us. Because if he wouldn't have done what he did for us, we'd all be destined for a devil's hell. You need to understand that. Don't ever forget that. You ought to get up and thank God for that every day. That Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. Of course, Jesus was taken. And throughout his trial, his words were precious few. For Isaiah declared, as a sheep before its shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Now, Jesus went before the Sanhedrin and much we could talk about that. Of course, in the time of that meeting that the Sanhedrin had and Jesus appeared before them, we have Peter denying Jesus the three times. Of course, Peter repented and he went out and he wept bitterly. Isn't it good to know that when we miss it and Peter missed it big time, we can repent. And if Peter can get back to God for what he did, then you and I can get back to God when we miss it. Judas, however, was not like Peter. He did not repent. He regretted what he had done. And he went out and hung himself. And Jesus said it had been better for him that he'd never been born. Remember Jesus saying that? And Judas went to hell. Sad. Very sad. Jesus then faces Pilate. And we understand that Pilate really didn't want to be involved with this situation. Pilate's wife was warned in a dream to have nothing to do with Jesus. As far as Pilate, you know, don't, don't, don't have it play any role in his, in his, in, 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 in what was going to, you know, in his, Jesus' crucifixion. How many remembers Pilate's wife warned him? So Pilate then passed Jesus off to Herod. Remember that? Jesus went over to Herod and Herod had been looking forward to seeing Jesus because he wanted to see Jesus perform some miracle or whatever. Because he'd heard about Jesus but never seen him. And of course Jesus opened out his mouth in front of Herod and Herod's men mocked him and treated Jesus with great contempt. And put a robe upon him, a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. It's interesting that up till that time, Pilate and Herod hated each other, but Jesus got in between them and they became friends that day. When Jesus get, I don't care how bad the relationship you have with somebody else, just get, get Jesus in the middle there and, and, and you can become friends. Can you say amen? And so then Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate dressed in that gorgeous robe, trying to make fun of Jesus and we're making fun of him and mocking him and ridiculing him and beating him and so on. And then, of course, he comes before Pilate the second time. And, of course, we could preach messages and messages on all of this. But it's interesting in John 19, 11, one thing that Jesus said to Pilate, which brings out what we've already noted. In John 19, 11, Jesus answered and said, said to Pilate, he said, you could have no power against me unless it had been given you from above. 
Again, I want to point out to you that could Pilate or anybody else have taken Jesus' life if Jesus didn't want to go? No. And then, of course, as it went on, the crowd, because Pilate found no fault in Jesus and Pilate wanted to release him. Because at the feast, one prisoner would be released. Remember that? And the crowd cried, crucify him, crucify him, as the Jewish leadership had stirred the crowd up. And and they cried, crucify him, crucify him. Remember that? And then Pilate went and washed his hands of the situation. And they released Barabbas instead. Of course, Jesus had been verbally mocked and ridiculed, beaten without mercy. You need to understand the beating that Jesus took was... It was without mercy. They, they, they absolutely, sh- I mean, his back was just ripped to smithereens. His beard had been plucked. His face and body had been spit upon. A crown of thorns was placed upon his head. And those thorns were not little bitty thorns like you might see out in a briar patch. But these things were, it's horrible. He was taken to Mount Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull, to be crucified. Of course, as he was being led out, he fell under the weight of the cross, apparently, and Simon of Cyrene carried his cross. Jesus warned the women that were lamenting over him. He said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, he said, weep not for me, but rather for yourselves and for your children Speaking of the future judgment that would come upon Jerusalem, which did happen about 70 years later, give or take. They come to Mount Calvary. And just before Jesus was crucified, he was offered wine mixed with gall. And he did not receive that. The reason that he did not receive that is that gall was like a narcotic type of a painkiller. Some call it a stupefying drink, like a narcotic that would have numbed his senses. And and Jesus did not receive that. For you see, he was going to bear everything that needed to be bore for us. And he didn't receive that. At 9 a.m., On a Wednesday morning, Jesus was placed upon the cross. Now somebody said, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. He he, he died on a Friday. No, study your Bible. He died on a Wednesday. Because on a Friday, he said himself that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart. Of the earth. That's not talking about the tomb there. It's talking about the inner workings of the earth in the spirit realm. And if he died on a Friday, you can't get three days and three nights from that time till Sunday morning. And if you study the gospel according to John, you'll see that the preparation day that they were talking about because they needed to take the body of Jesus down from the cross, you know, because the next day was, that was, uh, 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 what was the, the Sabbath? That Sabbath on a Thursday, that was a special high day. It wasn't the weekly Saturday Sabbath. And so Jesus was crucified 9 a.m. approximately on a Wednesday morning. Don't go along with traditions just because somebody said something. Get into your Bible. Study your Bible. Can you say amen? Now, there's been people want to argue with me on that over the years. But, you know, I'm I'm 51 years old. I'm not going to argue with anybody over what day of the week Jesus died. The important thing is that he died. Did you get what I just said? I know when I was a... Young, 25-year-old whippersnapper. Boy, I just argue with you about stuff like that. The important thing is that he died. Not what day it was. You okay? 
Are you out there or are you going home? 9 a.m. He goes upon the cross. He's crucified between two thieves. Both reviling him at that point. You need to realize that. Both of them reviling him. Speaking negatively of him. At that point, the Bible says. And so Jesus now is suspended between heaven and earth. Upon the cross. And he makes seven statements from the cross, which I want to spend the rest of the message here on. First thing, and again, the order of these, this is to the best of my study, this appears to be the order. But again, we don't want to argue over order. He said these things, but this would appear to be the order. First of all, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Think about that statement. Could you make such a statement after somebody's just ripped your back to smithereens and has spit on your face and plucked your beard and called you every kind of thing you can imagine and crown of thorns on your head and so on? Could you say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? How many of you know Jesus is our example, isn't he? And if he can at that point... He's he's our Lord, but he's he's our example. And if Jesus at that point hanging upon that cross after what they just done to him, just think of it. They just they just nailed spikes into his hands and and into his feet. And he's hanging there. If he can forgive at that point after what's just been done to him, how much more can you and I how much more should you and I be able to forgive anything that anybody's done to us? The soldiers then divide and cast lots for his garments. And the Jews mock him. The religious leaders and such. Not all of them, but the majority of them. It's interesting, I said a moment ago that both of the thieves, because Jesus was crucified in the middle and one thief on the right and one thief on his left. But one of the thieves repents and asks Jesus to remember him When he comes into his kingdom and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Two things I want to say about this. First of all, isn't it good to know that you can repent at the midnight hour and get saved? Is that right? If that thief thief can get in and he made it, he didn't go to hell, did he? He he made it into paradise, didn't he? He had Jesus word on it. That's good, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? The midnight hour. I wouldn't recommend you wait until the deathbed to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I wouldn't recommend you wait till then. But if you are on the deathbed in the midnight hour, you can cry out to him and all that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus be saved. Is that wonderful? Amen. So the one repented. Also, he said to them, he said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's two ways you could look at it. One is because they had no punctuation in the in the Greek. You could look at this one of two ways. Jesus either said to the thief this very day, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. Or he said to the thief, I'm saying to you today That you will be with me in paradise, meaning that it may not have been on that very day, but within the next short time you will be, within the next couple of days you'll be with me in paradise. It could be interpreted either way, you just need to realize that. In other words, if I said to my wife, today, today I'm going to buy you a mint coat, what would you be thinking? We're going out out today, right? Yeah. But I could today say, you know, you know, I'm going to buy you a mint coat. Well, that don't mean today, but but that means I'm going to have to do it at some point, right? You need to understand that. You okay? A mint coat. Somebody gave her a mint coat one time. Was that a mint coat? Fox, yeah, somebody gave it to, to 
I think you wore it a couple of times. I mean, you just, even when it's three degrees outside, you're just sweating horribly in that, you know. I don't think you hardly ever wore that, huh? It's pretty, though, yeah. We wouldn't go out and buy anything like that. <laughs> you know, as servants of God, we ought to be humble, shouldn't we? Is that right? Don't ever camouflage a greed and bring it forth as a need. Did you hear me? My wife got mad at me because I'm not buying her a mint coat today. She got walked out. Say humble. All ought to be humble. Is that right? That doesn't mean you need to be broke. How many of of you know being broke doesn't mean you're humble? Is that right? But we shouldn't flaunt things either, should we? There's a balance in it all. Is that right? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Did that thief make it? Did he get in? Yes or no? Come on, are you out there? And then Jesus' third statement from the cross, seeing his mother, and we can always count on mom to be close by. Jesus' mom was close by the cross, along with some other women and whatnot. And he saw also John, one of his disciples. And in that moment, he turned, he he said, woman... He said, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, John, he said, behold your mother. And from that moment on, that day on, John took Mary into his house. It's interesting. Jesus had other brothers and sisters, didn't he? Didn't he? Now, Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus. Is that right? But then after that, Mary with Joseph had other children. James is one of them. He wrote the book of James by the direction of the Holy Spirit. There were others. Mary didn't remain a virgin. It's interesting that Jesus' brothers didn't believe upon him in his earthly ministry. But after Jesus was raised from the dead, some of them did. James would be one of them. But it's interesting that Jesus, and I don't know that any of his brothers were even at the cross. I don't know. Would you show up to see your brother be crucified? I don't know, but... Mom was there. But it's interesting that Jesus didn't turn John over to any of his half-brothers, if you will. Didn't turn it, didn't, Jesus didn't turn his mother over to any of his half-brothers. He turned, Jesus turned his mother over to who? To John. Do you ever feel closer to your church family than you do your natural kin? This was a man who laid his head on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. This man knew the heartbeat of Jesus. And so Jesus turned his mother, not over to any of his half-brothers or whatever, you know, but over to John, his, one of his faithful disciples. It's interesting that Jesus, even in that, that shape that he was in, was cognizant enough to care about his mother. Another lesson that we should learn, we should care for our parents, shouldn't we? Now, Jesus went upon the cross at nine o'clock in the morning, approximately, and now it's high noon. And at high noon, the Bible says that darkness covers the land, which is a type of the judgment of God. And that darkness was upon the land from high noon until... Jesus dies at three in the afternoon. So you need to understand that. What time did he go on a cross? Nine in the morning. And then when did that darkness cover the land? Noon. And that is a type of the judgment of God. Now you need to understand that. Around 3 p.m. Jesus cries out and he says, My God, my God, why have you... Forsaken me. 
Do you remember him saying that? Now, it's important that you remember that because I want them to put up Psalm 22, verse 1. I want you to look that in your Bible. Look that up in your Bible. Because it's going to be important in just a moment. And I want you to see something here. Now, where did I ask you to go? Psalm what? 22, verse 1. Now, this psalm starts off. How does it start off in in your Bible? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, hold your place there in Psalm 22, because we'll be coming back to it. So at high noon, there's darkness upon the land. Three hours, that darkness is there. Uh, Approximately three in the afternoon, Jesus cries out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting the 22nd Psalm. You see, and I said it a moment ago, but I'll say it again. Jesus, the book of Daniel says this, was cut off, but not for himself. Real loud say, but not for himself. But not for himself. He then cries out and he says, I thirst. He's given at that time vinegar. This time there was no painkiller, narcotic, if you will, in it. And he did receive that. And then he says, it is finished. Realize, say it is finished. One more time. It is finished. It is finished. And then he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus then dismisses his spirit. His physical body dies as his spirit leaves his body. The Bible says there's an earthquake. The veil of the temple, that veil that separated the holy of holies, where only the high priest could go in once a year and not without blood. That veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Notice, not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom, which indicates that Almighty God, as Jesus died upon the cross, split that thing. And now you and I can have access to the Holy of Holies. We don't need a priest to do it for us. Can you say amen? Because now Jesus is the great high priest and he's made the way available. Isn't that wonderful? His side is then pierced from which come blood and water. His body's taken down from the cross. It's prepared for burial by Joseph of Arimathea as well as Nicodemus. Jesus' body is placed in Joseph's tomb, the tomb of a rich man, as was prophesied, in a tomb which no one had ever laid before. A guard was set. And here we are. But I believe the Spirit of God dealt with me some time ago, and I never like to. I know next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, and we will. But the Holy Spirit never likes me to close a message where we leave Jesus on the cross or his body in the tomb. Thank God Jesus died on the cross. Can you say amen? Thank God his body was in the tomb. But I don't ever like to leave a message with Jesus on the cross or his body in the tomb. That's why when you see crosses, I don't care to see crosses where Jesus is still hanging on the cross. He, He did hang on the cross. And I'm all for having crosses. We have one out just outside in the entryway there. All for it. Thank God for the cross, the cross, the cross. Say the cross. Thank God for what he did on the cross. But he didn't stay on the cross. He's not on the cross today, is he? He's not in the tomb today. He's, he's risen. Is that right? I don't ever like to leave Jesus on the cross. I don't ever like to leave him in the tomb with his body. So let me preach on just a few more minutes if you'll... Allow me to do so. One of the last cries he made from the cross was, it is what? It is finished. 
Realize, say it is finished. Now you need to realize that, and, and you need to listen to me and let me go on here and get to the end here before you make any judgments, but you need to realize, listen, I'm a preacher of the cross. I believe in the cross, but listen, I don't believe in the wood so much. Look, it's not the wood, it's what Jesus did on the wood. Did you get what I just said? Don't make a God out of the wood. Thank God for the wood, but it's not the wood. It's what Jesus did on that wood that's important. And when I say the cross, I'm talking about what Jesus did upon that cross. Did you get what I just said? You okay with that? And you see, he said it is finished. Now, you're going to need to let me go on about ten more minutes to see what he was actually saying when he said it is finished. Because you see, people that don't study their Bible... People that don't really get in there and dig just a little bit. They think that when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, that everything is completely done. But let me say this to you. If everything was completely finished on the cross, why did he have to be raised from the dead? Well, somebody said to prove that he was who he said he was. Well, certainly, yes. But why did there have to be three days? Why couldn't he have just been raised later that day? Obviously, something else had to happen in that three-day period. Hmm? Huh? Obviously, something else had to happen in that three-day period. Much was finished on the cross. The veil of the temple was torn. We just talked about that. But why three, three days? Just have him raised later that afternoon. So something had to happen in that three days. There needed, obviously, to be some other events that happened. You see, upon the cross, Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God bearing the sins of the whole world. Are you okay with that? The sins of the whole world were laid upon him. The punishment for all mankind. You see, his blood was shed upon that cross, that precious blood without which there is no remission of sin. The Bible says that because of the shedding of Jesus' blood, that he's made peace between God and us through the blood of his cross. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We've been justified or declared righteous by his blood. His blood cleanses us from all sin. The Bible says we're brought near to God by the blood of Christ. His blood cleanses our conscience from dead works, the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus' precious blood purchases us and removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered again. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Thank God for what Jesus did upon the cross. All the sins of mankind in one place at one time were laid upon him. And not only our sins, but the Bible is clear that all of our sickness and disease was laid upon him upon the cross. Because not only did he bear our sins, but he bore our sickness and carried our disease. Isn't that wonderful? And the Bible says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Every mental malady, ever, every depression, oppression was laid upon his mind. And he bore our sins, our sickness, our disease, our mental malady. He bore all of that upon the cross. Can anybody say thank God? But you see, you need to realize that there's a spiritual realm. There's also a natural realm. And what happens is people oftentimes want to just look at the physical side or the natural side of what Jesus did. And they don't want to look at the spiritual side of it. And people think about the redemptive work of what Jesus did upon the cross. And yes... The cross, the cross, the cross. But let me say this. Was not his virgin birth important? Yes. If he hadn't been born of a virgin, he couldn't have, uh, he, he couldn't have died as our substitute on the cross. 
Was his sinless life important? Because if he had ever sinned, he would have disqualified himself. Is that right? The beatings, him, him being nailed on the cross, all of that is, is important. But so oftentimes the natural side of things get focused in on and people don't look at the spiritual side of what happened at the cross. Do you remember in Leviticus 16, and you ought to read it sometime, but on the Day of Atonement, there were two goats taken. It's a type of Jesus. And there's so many types in the Old Testament. But there were two goats taken. One was the sin offering. And that was, you see, Jesus, as he went through his redemptive work, these two goats on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, you can read it, shows what happened not only from the natural side, but the spiritual side. From the natural side, one of those goats was considered the sin offering. Listen to this. Very interesting. It was slaughtered. It was put to death. And its blood was presented on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies in the temple. The other goat was called the scapegoat. And it was kept alive. Real loud say kept alive. See, Jesus' body died upon the cross. His body was slaughtered and his body died upon the cross. But when he dismissed his spirit, his spirit continued to live. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. And this other goat shows that side of what Jesus did. The scapegoat was kept alive. The priest laid his hands upon the head of this goat and confessed the sins of Israel over it, thus symbolically transferring the sins of Israel onto the goat. And then this scapegoat was sent alive, real loud say alive, into the wilderness, thus bearing away the sins of the people. I believe, this is what I believe, from 9 a.m. until noon, Jesus hung on that cross as the spotless Lamb of God, fulfilling the type of the goat that was slaughtered, the sin offering. But at noon, what covered the land? Darkness covered the land, which is the type of the judgment of God. And you see, we have many scriptures that talk about Jesus as the, as the Lamb of God. Yes, yes. But we also have a set of scriptures in the Bible that says... That Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin, not a sinner, but to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus himself said, as Moses lifted up the what in the wilderness? The serpent. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In Psalm 22, which you're there, you could look it up sometime. Don't do it now, but look it up. Read it later this afternoon. That's prophesying what Jesus would say upon that cross. And one of the statements that he made there was, I'm a worm and no man. You see, that's when he became a curse for you and me. Thus fulfilling that other goat that was mentioned in Leviticus 16. Now, all scholars agree that Jesus' body went in the tomb. Almost all scholars agree that Jesus' spirit went into the heart of the earth, into the spirit realm, of course. Jonah said, or Jesus said of Jonah that he was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish and the Son of Man had to be three days and three nights where? In the heart of the earth. Is that right? After Jesus was raised from the dead, remember Mary came to him and he said, touch me not for I've not yet ascended to my father. Is that right? So, so Jesus, after he died on the cross, his spirit hadn't gone yet. He hadn't gone up to the father yet. His spirit went into the inner workings of the earth. The Bible is very clear on that. He was down there for three days and three nights. But the big question is, is where did he go? And there's some debate about this. And so much debate about this that sometimes I think, well, I'm not even going to talk about it because. But you know what? Peter preached on this on the on, on the day of Pentecost. And if he could preach on this on the day of Pentecost, I can stand here and preach on it from the word of God in this hour in which we live. Can you say amen? Where did Jesus spirit go? 
All you got to do is get a Bible and read. You ought to read the book of Acts sometime and you'll see the Bible tell you right where his spirit went. You could look it up later. I'm just asking you to go study it out. Find out for yourself where his spirit went. But Peter quoted David who was quoting Jesus speaking of his resurrection. And he said, he said this, you'll not leave my soul in hell. That word for hell there means the underworld. But if you do a little bit of study on that, you know, in the underworld, there was a place. Jesus said himself in Luke 16, there was a place uh, known as Abraham's bosom or paradise. There was a great gulf fixed. And on the other side, there was a place of torment. Remember that where that rich man was and he cried out in torments. Remember how many remembers that there's two, two, two compartments down there. And then there was a bottomless pit and whatnot. And just just there, so, 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 so there was there was a place of comfort and a place of torment. And Peter, in the book of Acts, quoting David from Psalm 16, quoting Jesus, speaking of his resurrection, saying, you'll not leave my soul in hell. Study into that word hell, Sheol in the Old Testament, Hades in the New Testament. But it's a place of torment. Every place that that word hell is used, it's a place of torment, dear friends. It's the same place where that rich man was in torments. And then you can go over to Romans, the 10th chapter, and look in the 7th verse sometime, and you'll see that Paul himself tells us exactly where uh, Jesus' spirit went. You can look it up. Go Acts ten seven. You'll see that it talks about that his spirit went into. Realize, say the abyss, went into the abyss, and that word is is actually the bottomless pit. It's the same place where those demons. Remember when Jesus cast the demons out of that man, that 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 that, that man is a legion. Remember that into the swine. Remember those demons did not want to go out into the abyss, out into the deep, out into the abyss. That's the same place where Jesus' spirit went. Read it sometimes and sometime in Romans the 10th chapter and the 7th verse. See, Jesus was our substitute. He had to go every place we would have had to go. He went upon the cross. We had an appointment on the cross. He went on the cross so we didn't have to go there. But you also need to realize this. We also had an appointment in hell. I said we had an appointment in hell. We had an appointment on the cross. Thank God for what he did on the cross. But we also had an appointment in hell. And the Bible's clear. That's where Jesus went and suffered for three days and three nights. And I'm not going to apologize for it because that's what the Bible says. Are you saying that what Jesus did on the cross was not sufficient? I'm saying that we needed what he did on the cross, but we also needed what he did in the heart of the earth. We needed it all. I don't know all the details of what happened down there, and I think preachers get in trouble when they try to make read more into it than what actually did happen, but I know that he suffered down there. And Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, says, God the Father saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. And I know Acts, the second chapter, said, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Think about that. Say, loose the pains of death. That wasn't talking about physical death. You've seen bodies lay in caskets before. There's no pain there. They're already dead. Is that right? Pains of death had to do with the suffering that he did in the inner part of the earth. Having loosed the pains of death, Acts the second chapter says, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Why could hell not hold him? Because, here's the answer, he had never sinned. That's why hell could not hold him, because he'd never sinned. The Bible says, had the devil known, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. And so what happened was a sinless, spotless man went in to hell itself and suffered for three days and three nights. The just for the unjust. Think of this. The eternal for the temporal. Man being temporal was to suffer an eternity in hell. So the eternal came and suffered temporally in hell, thus satisfying the claims of a holy God. Boy, that makes me shout when I think about that. 
I'm going to say that again. Man, temporal, was supposed to suffer eternity in hell, so the eternal came and suffered temporally for you and me, thus satisfying the claims of a holy God. That was worth coming to church just to get that right there. Glory to God. I said the temporal was supposed to suffer eternally, so the eternal came and suffered temporally, thus satisfying the claims of a holy God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And he walked over the door, no doubt, somehow or another. I don't know how it all happened, but he walked over to the gates of hell. And because he had never sinned, the just for the unjust. And the Bible said he was able to take Jesus said himself, I have the keys of hell and of death. Can you say amen? Amen. Glory to God. And he walked out of that place. Glory to God. And there's no question about it. That he, remember when, when Abraham said that those who are over on the torment side can't come over here to the side of paradise or comfort. And those over, we can't cross this great gulf. But Jesus was able to cross it because he never sinned. Glory to God. And you see, on that resurrection morn, and this all happened no doubt sometime early on a Sunday morning. When Jesus, see he was raised from that, see he was cut off from the life of God for you and for me. But on that Sunday morning, early in the morning the Bible says that he was hooked back up with the life of God. When he got hooked back up, we got hooked back up with him. Can you say amen? He took the keys of hell and of death. The Bible said he made a show of them openly. That's talking about demon power. There was some kind of battle that went on. I don't know all the details of it. The Bible's not clear. But I know he disarmed principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. Can you say amen? Amen. Glory to God. And I tell you what, when that time came, the word of Almighty God from heaven came into into that place. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews what God said to raise Jesus up from the dead. He said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That word begotten means to regenerate. See, on that Sunday morn, Jesus was his spirit who had been cut off from the life of God. When God said, you're my son, today have I regenerated you. Praise God. His life was his his spirit was hooked back up with the life of God. And thus the new birth was now available to you and me. Can you say amen? Glory to God. God said, let all the angels of God worship him. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. His spirit hooked back up with the life of God. Takes the key of hell and of death. Disarms principalities and powers. Praise God forevermore. Walks across that great divide into the place of paradise. And now he's with the thief in paradise. He made good on his word. He said, you'll be with me in paradise. And now Jesus is over in paradise. Praise God. With that thief and with David and with all those Old Testament saints, can you say amen? Glory to God. Now in Psalm, the 22nd chapter, I hope you have that with you. Because we're going to look at something now. And I want you to think about this in the Amplified Bible. I'm almost done in case I'm boring you. Just give me a couple more minutes and we'll be done. I'm not boring you, am I? If you get bored with this, you need to get, you need to get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. Can you say Amen. He comes over. You see, Psalm 22, if you read it sometime, the first, the first more than half of that psalm, if you read it, it start, what does it start off with? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus cry from the cross. But you go on. See, I believe that when he's hanging on that cross, I believe he was quoting that 22nd psalm. Now the Holy Ghost gave us the first, the first part of what he said, and the first part of that chapter, I believe Jesus, I believe he quoted the whole thing. But the Holy Ghost put in the Gospels the first, first part what he said, and the last part what he said. The first part was what? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then the first part of that psalm talks about the crucifixion. It talks about the natural stuff that was going on. It talks about the demon power that was there. It, 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 it details the suffering and the agony. And the first part of that psalm is, is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And where he's cut off from the life of God. And it goes on and it details, you read it sometime, it details the crucifixion. But then, a little over halfway through that psalm, something happens. And it says, you have answered me. You have answered me. 
In other words, Jesus cried to God as prayer to God and God, God answers him and declares, you are my son today, I've begotten you. Let all the angels of God worship him and so forth. And at that point, the rest of that psalm, now you see Jesus not on the cross anymore, but now you see him over in paradise, over in Abraham's bosom. And they're having a praise service over there. And I believe Jesus is leading the praise because it says that he's in the midst of the assembly of the congregation, I'll praise you. And, and the rest of that psalm is in, in it has to do with victory and real loud say resurrection. And that psalm goes all the way down the rest of the way. Psalm 22 about resurrection. And the last part of that psalm, if you would please, if you would please put Psalm 22 verse 31 in the amplified up. Notice here. The last part of that, the Amplified brings out what's really being said. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. That's talking of us, but be that as may, that he has done it, that it is what? It is what? It is what? Did Jesus say that from the cross? Did he say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the first of that psalm. And then at the very end, he said, it is what? It is finished. See, it is when was it finished? It was finished after he was raised from the dead. Can you say amen? See, people don't do their homework. They don't do their study as they should. And they think that everything that needed to be done was done on the cross. Well, every, a lot of things, a great deal of things was done on the cross. But there also needed to be three days, three nights, and he needed to be raised from the dead. And then it is finished. Did you hear me? It's a package deal. You need the cross, but you also need the resurrection. You need them both. You need the virgin birth. You need the sinless life. You need the death on the cross, but you also need the resurrection. You see, you need all of it. The suffering that he did in the inner part of the earth. Real loud, say it is finished. Real out loud. One more time. It is finished. See, when was it finished? It was finished after he was raised from the dead. Praise God. The Bible said that, that, that there was, there was a, I believe the earth quaked and the angel came down, rolled back the stone, took up the best seat in the house. Praise God. And you see Jesus, he had just, he had just been raised from that spiritual separation and now is, he's over in paradise and now guess what? His spirit comes back up and his spirit comes into his body, into that tomb. And I believe that when his spirit came in, now his body was in pretty bad shape when they laid him in that tomb. Is that right? But I believe the power of God, the Bible says he raised him from the dead by the glory of the Father and the glory of the Holy Ghost hit his body, praise God, and it glorified that body. I believe, I personally believe that that shrouded turn probably real, probably real, whether it is or isn't, neither here nor there. But I personally think that when, and we got a shrouded turn expert here in the church, you can talk to him sometime, Mark Ananachi. But when Jesus' spirit came back into his body, the Holy Ghost hit his body, glorified his body, probably scorched his image on that shroud. I don't know, but probably did. But nonetheless, I don't know about the shroud, but I do know the Bible says that Jesus' spirit came back in his body. Can you say amen? His body glorified his spirit inside of his body, never to die again. Say never to die again. Praise God. And he walks out. Hallelujah. Bless God forevermore. And he says, all authority in heaven and his earth has been given unto me. He took it back from the devil. Praise God. He made a show of demon power openly. He had the keys of hell and of death. Praise God forevermore. In the process of time, Mary Magdalene saw him and he said, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended unto my father and your father unto my God and your God. Remember that? And that was in accordance with Old Testament type. They couldn't touch. Some versions say he said, don't cling to me. No, he said, don't touch me. You couldn't touch, you couldn't, you couldn't touch the, the, the priest before he presented the blood on the, on the mercy seat. And so what happened is he said, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended. And then Jesus, the Bible said he ascended into heaven. Read the book of Hebrews. You'll see it. He ascended into heaven. The Bible says not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Praise God. And he presented his blood on the heavenly mercy seat and the father accepted accepted it thus thus sealing eternal redemption for you and for me can anybody say amen can anybody say amen glory to god 
Thank God for the death on the cross, but there was more stuff going on than just that. Thank God for it. Praise God. But he went into heaven itself and presented his holy blood on that mercy seat. And you see, on this mercy seat down here on the earth, they put the blood of the bulls and the goats and whatnot on it. And all that blood could do is cover sin, but if something's covered, it can also be uncovered. Is that right? And so so you see, they had to do that on a regular basis, an ongoing basis, day atonement, once a year, every year, year after year after year. But you see, Jesus' blood does something that the blood of the bulls and goats could not do. The blood of the bulls and goats could only cover sin, but the blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, praise God, it doesn't just cover sin, no, it obliterates sin, it removes it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again, and it cleans our conscience. Can you say amen, somebody? Glory to God, hallelujah. Praise God. How many of you glad that His blood is more powerful than the blood of the bulls and the goats? Don't have to kill no more bulls and goats because the precious Lamb of God's blood has been shed and He's been slain and His blood is now on that heavenly mercy seat. And it speaks better things than the blood of Abel, you see. Jesus' blood cries out mercy and grace. And that blood cleanses us from all sin. And that blood is just as powerful today than the day that it was shed. On that old rugged cross some 2,000 years ago. Now I know I preached a little bit long today. But that's alright. Stand with me if you would.